Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, May 22nd, 2017. We all had a great weekend. You're all rested up. <laughs> Ready for another round, if you would. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula that we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, it's weird how that often works out. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of teaching and doctrine put out by these people is far, far from sound, far from biblical, far from truthful. In fact, nowadays it's becoming more and more absurd, the things that people are are teaching. In fact, I would say it's just downright delusional. And yet, (laughs) there's a whole bunch of people out there defending those who are teaching nonsense rather than what God's Word says. So we work from the idea that, well, the Bible's the Word of God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's the norm and rule for all doctrine and teaching in Christ's church. It's the only place I know of that I can go where I can teach what Christ has commanded. Yeah, and that's... My job, your job as a Christian, in our task of making disciples of all nations, we're to baptize and teach all that Christ has commanded. That's the only place I can I know that I can go for that is the written word of God. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do today to start things off. We're going to begin with a new apostolic reformation update. We're going to be hearing just a smidge from the apostle Shayon who will be recognized as apostolic in the thing that we're going to be listening to. And Shayon is going to introduce Roland Baker, no joke, as a brilliant theologian. <laughs> you just, what? Yeah, I know, I know. It, it, it's just crazy. It's just going, it's crazy go nuts. You know, some, you know, then we're going to switch gears. We're going to do a prophetic holy orders 
Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And we're going to check in with Patricia King and uh, her teaching on God's anti-aging plan. Yeah. Apparently, um, if you're out there and you're getting old, yeah, you're not you're not doing God's will. God has an anti-aging plan that you're supposedly supposed to be able to tap into. And so, you know, I don't know what uh, Patricia King's been tapping into, but I, it's just not sound biblical doctrine. Let's just put it this way. I am pretty confident we're going to hear her twist God's word. Uh, if it's at all referenced, I mean, I'm sure it will be, but barely out of context, and I'm sure it'll be just crazy. Then we're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist. Somewhere in there we're going to take a break. We're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update, and we're going to listen in to T.D. Jake's message titled Expectant Mothers. Expectant Mothers. And see, you're, you're going to find out why it is I really don't enjoy checking in <laughs> You know, with anything that anybody's saying in the in the evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal world, uh, when it comes to Mother's Day, because <laughs> apparently I can be an expectant mother. I had no idea, but T.D. Jakes will explain that to us. And then in hour number two, we're going to head down to Planet Shakers in Australia as we listen to Dave McCracken. Dave McCracken um, explain to us the authority to bring transformation, the authority to bring transformation. And in the sermon, we're going to hear him passing along a false teaching that seems to be making the rounds in the charismatic and Pentecostal movements uh, and the NAR as in regard to what the ancient world believed regarding apostles, apostolos. Now, that is, by the way, a term that predates the apostles, um, but we're going to hear a strange teaching from uh, the McCracken, and uh, as we listen to the McCracken, we're going to note that he's just all over the map. He's not actually teaching anything that's sound or biblical, and uh, you know, is making some strange claims regarding the Greek word apostolos. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable And since we're going to begin with a uh, new apostolic reformation update, let's do this. Chief Lane, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're pinky, they're pinky, and the brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world. They're pinky and the brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain, the Twilight Campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. All right, so to begin today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to head over to xpmedia.com, and they have... Uh, a video uh, from, you know, giving credit to Heidi Baker, but we're not going to hear from Heidi Baker today. We're going to hear from Shayon as Shayon, who, uh, of course, is uh, considered to be 
one of the living apostles on the earth. Yeah, I mean, he was actually trained by C. Peter Wagner. And so he he's all about, you know, going and, and receiving the strategies necessary to conquer the seven mountains. And, and the apostle Shayon is introducing none other than Roland Baker, who we recently heard from. Yeah, we, uh, we heard from Roland Baker uh, from his... One of his messages that he delivered at the uh, Lutheran Renewal Conference in October of last year. And that was just crazy go nuts. Nothing biblical about that. Nothing, nothing, no reason to believe anything of, of what he said was actually from the Holy Spirit. Any of the weird manifestations that he was engaging in had anything to do with the Holy Spirit. And so Roland and Heidi Baker, these are two people who are just into all kinds of strange behaviors that they claim come from the Holy Spirit. But Shayon is going to give him all of his own apostolic credibility. Yeah, he's going to do that and claim that he's, uh, well, I'll let Shayon explain. Maybe you don't know about him, but Roland is one of the most brilliant theologians. He preaches the truth. No, he doesn't. And Roland is... <laughs> Brilliant theologian. Wow. Um, yeah, when I think of brilliant theologians, I think of men like, you know, maybe like Francis Pieper, Martin Chemnitz, Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, you know, people like that. Um, uh, you know, brilliant theologians when it, you know, uh, Roland Baker, I don't even put him in the category of sound biblical theologian. Yet Shayon says that he's a brilliant theologian. But he's so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of the grace of... Yeah, he's not full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of something, but he ain't full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's like Jesus, full of grace and truth, you know? Right. Roland Baker, full of... This is just a lot like Jesus. It's weird. I don't recall Jesus ever making people, you know, roll around and bark like dogs and stuff. John 1, 14 and verse 17 as well. And um, and uh, he just comes with that delightful mix of giving you amazing revelation theology, but just so much uh, presence and impartation. Amazing theology and impartation and presence. Where when when is the amazing theology part actually come out of his mouth? And um, and so uh, it is always a joy to have Roland Heidi. Congratulations to Roland and Heidi. For Zoe Joy being born this past week. But let's all stand up, give Roland Baker a great welcome. HRC, welcome. Revival Lions, welcome. It's great to have him back. We love you. <laughs> Go for it. All right. So, I mean, with an introduction like that, I expect him to say, please open your Bibles to such and such a passage. You know, we're going to be taking a look at it in the Greek. I mean, he's a brilliant theologian, you know. And we're really going to be delving into what it is that God has revealed in this text. And, you know, and then what would come out of his mouth next would be something akin to hearing a, a good exegetical uh, study of the scriptures, maybe like, you know, Albert Muller does or something like that. But um, let's see <laughs> what this brilliant theologian, yeah, brilliant theologian, Ro uh, Roland Baker has to say. Wow. I can't wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> 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 I 
<laughs> I try to take speaking seriously, but it's hard work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Some of the most amazing, brilliant theology I've ever heard. Consider my mind blown. You know, when you get older, most people usually get older over time. <laughs> You feel less and less qualified to, to preach. <laughs> All the great saints in history, as they grew in God, they, they realized more than ever, this isn't going to fly with the f- finished work crowd. <laughs> they get lower in God. They get more humble. They get more dependent. They get more empty-handed. They get more broken. They get, they take pains for people to realize how weak they are, like Paul did. You know, I boast in my weaknesses that his power may rest on me. They're not trying to prove they're on top. They're not trying to prove they've made it. They're not trying to prove they've, you know, apostolic material. I, I, I. I I understand, Jay. <laughs> yeah, notice, in apostolic material, and he's now referencing Shayon, who is an apostle now. <laughs> so I'm asking, <clears throat> when you come to a conference like this, <sighs> you know, one of these different sort of conferences, <laughs> What are you really after? I'd like to ask you right now, what is the deepest possible reason that you came to this conference and in particular to this meeting? I mean, there's lots of possible reasons. There's lots of things that we need and need prayer for. But what is the deepest reason you are here? What are you most hungry for? I mean, obviously, we need all kinds of things, you know, like money, <laughs> uh, healing, a girlfriend, you know, the basics. <laughs> what is that laugh? It is. Every time I hear it, it just sounds like demonic mocking to me. (laughs) But what would you most like to happen to you today? Yeah, this is interactive. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, seriously. So he went up there without any notes, without anything prepared. The brilliant theologian Roland Baker has now turned this into an interactive experience, and and uh, is it, it just sounds utterly confusing. Deeper. Yeah. 
And now he points at somebody and blows into the microphone. Apparently, that's kind of like uh, the Holy Spirit Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy impartation thingy. When you, like that, you know, somebody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why should I believe at all that this is the Holy Spirit? By the way, it is not my job to prove this isn't the Holy Spirit. It's their job to prove that this is a, a valid manifestation of the Holy Spirit from Scripture and from the sound doctrine that uh, Roland Baker teaches and stuff like that. It takes some thought because most people actually don't think about that that much. I mean, you might come just because you want to experience something you've never experienced before. Uh some of you desperately need to laugh, but you don't realize it. <laughs> I, lay, I love to pray for clinically depressed people that haven't laughed in 20 years, and in two minutes, it's, you know, it's, did more than all the antidepressants ever did. I think that no matter how blessed you are, you know, some of you are really blessed. You know, you've got great jobs and families and things to do and hobbies and you name it. You just, you know, some people just don't know what they need salvation for, from. It's hard to believe, but some people, you know, when you say you need to be saved, their first question is from what? (laughs) Right. This would be the place where I would expect you would talk about, you know, the wrath of God against our sin and rebellion, the need for repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ, and the fact that that salvation was won by Jesus on the cross and is given as a gift by grace through faith. I mean, he is a brilliant theologian, you know. And there's others of you that are in really desperate straits. I mean, you're really down. Demons are all over you and... Are you preaching to pagans or Christians? And you just don't. You can hardly. You hardly know how to get through the next day. And I've been there. But I'll bet you that even the most blessed people in here came for more. More of what? I don't care what you've seen God do. I don't care how much revival you've tasted. I don't care how blessed you are, how rich you are, how great your perfect your family is. You need more. Uh, more what? <laughs> There's that demonic taunting cackle thingy going on again. How big your ministry is, how well known you are, how influential, how many books you've sold, you just still need more. Got the greatest wife in the world, but sheesh, how much more do you need? Lots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can see where this is going. It's going into utter pandemonium. So, yeah, there we go. Uh, One of the... A brilliant theologian. I mean, those, oh, wow, I have such a better understanding of Scripture. More profound 
and nuanced understanding as it relates to who God is and what Christ has done for us and what he wills for us to be doing today. Yeah, I mean, oh, man, my life will never be the same. I mean, just, wow, Uh uh-huh. That was perfectly awful. Moving along. Hallelujah. Get up right now. That's right. That's Robert Tilton and Hu Babakanda, and that means it's time for a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. And uh, we're heading over to <coughs> Patricia King's studios for her television program, Everlasting Love. And uh, we're going to basically hear from Patricia King that apparently God does not will for you to age, and that uh, that. If you're aging, you, you 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 apparently need to just knock that off, and you need to believe in the promises that God has an anti-aging plan. And you're thinking, what? Yeah, I know. This is one of the new doctrines of the uh, charismatic and Pentecostal movements, and it's based upon a complete mangling and twisting of God's word from a woman who clearly has baked her brain in the glory. Here's Patricia King to explain to today's program we're talking about god's anti-aging plan because we believe that god has a plan for those in the senior years in fact those that are in the second half of life if you're 50 and so you believe god has a plan for everybody who's in their senior years um yet we don't know any of us the you know the day of our death not a single one of us this is particularly going to minister to you, but all of you are going to become 50 or older one day. So it's for all of you to listen. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, if you're, you're 50 or older, you know, there's a plan. And so you need to just lean in, activate and, you know, work the plan, apparently. And we are fighting a mindset we discussed in our last program is that there's so, so much negativity in the world regarding seniors, so much so that so much negativity regarding seniors. Please explain. Many people do not even want to be called senior. Instead of being proud of it, they are saying, don't call me a senior. And it's because the world has this concept that if you're a senior, you're all withered up, you're dying, you're broke, you are without vision, you can't um, have any fruitfulness left in your life, and you're just... (laughs) Really, everybody in the world thinks that about seniors. If you're above the age of 50, you're broke... You're withered, you're dying, and you have no vision, and you have nothing to offer the planet. That really, um, that's what we call a straw man. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I just travel around the world and you'll find that there are, in fact, entire cultures where if you're above 50, I mean, and you're a senior, you are honored. Yeah. So and here in the United States, granted that youth culture seems to be, you know, an important you know, component, important stream of the American culture. But just because you're above the age of 50, it's not like people sit there and go, oh, well, that guy's got nothing to offer. Anybody, nowhere, know how. Yeah, this is nonsense. So she's the way she's set up the problem is um, it's it's sketchy. It's In fact, it's so, so sketchy that it doesn't seem to actually be connected properly with a proper understanding of the general view of culture as it relates to people who are above the age of 50 waiting to die sort of thing, you know? That is the concept that people have within the world, but that's not what God has for us. And okay, so what does God have for us, Patricia? We have to crush that lie. It says in... Uh, so we've so we got to crush the lie. Well, the, you told a lie. <laughs> so are we going to crush the lie that you told, or are we going to crush the lie as you presented it? Because the lie that you told is not actually how the world thinks. Corinthians 10, that we have have powerful weapons. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And one of them is to pull down every thought that is exalted, everything that's exalted above the truth of God. About the- right, yeah, because, you know, we, we have weapons that are not of this world to tear down strongholds. And every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and Christ, yeah. So, I mean... We have we've got, we've got to activate this this weapon that's not of the world to tear down the stronghold of of this belief that if you're over fifty you have nothing whatsoever to offer the world and you're just waiting to die. Mind of Christ. If it's not in God's mind, it shouldn't be in ours, and it definitely shouldn't be in our mouth. And so we need to annihilate this because God has a plan. For seniors, that we will be the most powerful, the most fruitful, the most prosperous, the most successful, the most uh, most uh, generation full of strength, vitality since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. so, the current generation of seniors, and that she's defined that as anybody above the age of fifty. That you know, that generation will be the most vitality prone, active, visionary, strong, wealthy generation since Christ's resurrection. Where in the Bible does it say that? Answer, it doesn't say this anywhere. I I feel like she's trying to sell something, but all right, we're up on our first break. When we come back, we will continue listening to Patricia King apparently tell us about God's anti-aging plan for all of you over the age of 50. Uh, you know, then we're going to check in with T.D. Jakes. Uh, you know, so if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> ha 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 ha. 
Holiday's Birdcage Theatre presents Church Day Select. I don't know why we have to come to these small group sessions. They're just so boring. Hey, do you find that small groups just aren't that interesting or fun anymore? That's quite literally what I just said. Then we have the product just for you. New from Los Lobos Ministries is Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs. Well, what is it? Simple. Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs are an entire booklet loaded with fill-in-the-blank Bible passages. Aren't we supposed to read the scriptures the way they were originally written? None of you want to spice up your small group Bible studies. With Beth Moore's Biblical Mad Libs, you can make every passage be about you. Isn't scripture about Jesus? Only if you want it to be. In our postmodern age, it's stupid to think that such a thing as absolute truth actually exists. Every passage is open to interpretation. Read the example. But now that you have been set free from financial debt and have become warriors of God, the fruit you get leads to better sex and eternal life. For the wages of sin are smelly diapers, but the free gift of God is a really good tax return in Jesus Christ our Lord. That was absolutely heretical. Why would anyone butcher scripture like this? Because modern-day Christians like you don't endure sound doctrine. By popular demand, you've appointed leaders in the church who've given your itching ears what they want to hear and haven't looked back since. Ha! Suckers! This is just horrible. If you thought it couldn't get any worse, then you're just as foolish as Naval. We've already expanded the biblical Mad Lib franchise to include alternate Bible translations. That can't be good. You're right! It isn't! We now have Biblical Mad Libs in The Voice, the NIV, the KJV, the NKJV, and, for a limited time only, we have the Furtick Audaciously Revised Translation. Wait, doesn't that last one spell? Yes, it does spell fun. Not just fun for you, but for the entire small group. We've even created a Biblical Mad Libs Junior Edition to get the kids twisting scripture from a young age. I would never buy this for my children. Lucky for you, you don't have to. We're handing out free copies to every youth group in the nation. Plus, we're also including a special copy of Elevation Church's The Code Coloring Book for a little extra heretical flavor. You're not going to get away with this. You can't stop us. We're already in control. Resistance is futile. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down. Click on the ad banner and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms and rental cars today. Listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that, well, there is no anti-aging plan um, that God's going to bring to bear when you become a senior. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you pick. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. There are four ranks to choose from. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us, by the way. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're going to return uh, to Patricia King's Everlasting Love program as she, as she apparently explains to us that, you know, you got to tear down that stronghold that's exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ that says that if you're, you're getting old, <laughs> apparently... That uh, you know that your your best days are behind you. No, 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 no. They got to be in front of you because Patricia King says so. We are in that generation, and we're going to take hold of it, and we're going to run with it. And some of our most fruitful days are going to be the final days of our life. We're going to be like Abraham, who when he was 175 years of age, getting ready to pass on to glory, he said that he was fully satisfied with life. And he was rich in all things. He didn't downsize. He didn't diminish. He didn't wither. He re- <laughs> yeah, that, you see, be, so notice she's quoting this out of context, and it's part of a historical narrative, and she's turned this descriptive text into a prescription. Yeah, it's... <laughs> so, I mean, so are you downsizing? Are you? Uh, is your body withering? Well... You're doing something wrong, apparently. Yeah, yeah. God's not happy with you because the entire time he didn't expect you to wither. 
No, 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 no. You, 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 are you getting old? Are you aging? Are Do you have wrinkles and crinkles and love handles and things like that? Oh, my goodness. You're doing it wrong. Like This is not what God has for you. Strong to the finish. So just say to yourself, I'm going to be strong right to the finish. I'm strong to the finish because I eat me spinach. I'm... Wow, this is crazy. In my book, uh, God's Anti-Aging Plan, I give a number. (laughs) I told you, I knew it, knew it she was selling something. Yeah, in my book, God's Anti-Aging Plan. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I wouldn't buy that. Even if I was running low, if there was like a global shortage of toilet paper, I would not buy that book. Even for that purpose. What a load of nonsense. ...of keys uh, for us to help us get aligned with God's purposes for us in this day. So I want to share a few things with you that will help you. Whether you're um, in the second half of life or not, these principles are definitely going to help you. And they will enrich your life and they will position you for the blessings of God. So I want you to turn... If you have your Bibles there. Uh, so to, I, I need to apply principles to be positioned for the blessings of God. What text says that? Third uh, John uh, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray. Third uh-huh. John. There's only one chapter in Third John. Third John. All right, let's take a look at it. Three John. How much do you want to bet she's going to take the word? Soul prosper and twist it. Yeah, I'm just saying. But in every respect, every aspect of life, all respects, you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Your soul being your mind, your will, and emotions. You'll notice that in that scripture, he did not say, Beloved, those of you who are 50 and under... Oh, my goodness. This is one of the most ridiculous twistings of Scripture that I have ever heard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Third John, let's take a look at it and note what's going on here. The verse in question is one of the most twisted passages of Scripture. But uh, let's take a look at it. Third John, it's only a chapter long. Here's what it says. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice that originally this was originally penned to a particular person. That, that's kind of important here. And I want you to think of it this way. When, you know, back in the day when we actually wrote letters, y- yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> yeah, you would either type it on a typewriter uh-huh, which was the rarer thing to do. Or you would get some really nice lined stationery, and then you would put on your best you know, handwriting. Yeah, penmanship was vital back then. I didn't, you know, just saying. And uh, and you would write a letter, and it, it, you put the date over on one side, and then you would say, Dear so-and-so, I hope that this letter finds you well. Yeah, that uh, that things are going well, that your wife is is doing this, that, or the other thing, and that your children are well-behaved. You know, me here, I'm presently doing such and such a thing or whatever. And so the idea is that there was a standard greeting. There was a standard way of greeting somebody when you wrote them a personal letter. 
That's what's going on here in 3 John. All the way back in the time of the Apostle Paul, still, there was a general way in which you writ uh, you writ, you wrote a letter, and that's what's going on here. So the elder, the beloved guys, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. Now, it's kind of fascinating what's going on here. And so, you know, yeah, that you may be in good health. Who's he writing to? Gaius. All right. What's he wishing him? That, you know, that, he, that, that all may go well with him and that he may be in good health. He is not saying that this is a command. I command you, Gaius, by the will of God and by the fact that he wills that everybody, not just people under the age of 50, that they be, that they have good health and things like that. This is just you know wishing you well, right? So, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support the people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diostrophes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority, the authority of an apostle himself. That would be John. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. Uh, peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. Yeah, that's the letter. So Patricia King is taking uh, Third John, uh, verse two, and turning it into a oh, you, I'm commanding that you you prosper and that your soul prosper. That's not what's going on at all, Patricia. And you're you demonstrate every time you open up God's word that you are not qualified to be doing so, to be teaching anybody anything. I pray for you that in all respects you may prosper. No, this is for everyone. This is for everyone who, who belongs to Jesus. We have, we have a blessing of longevity, of abundant life, of quality life. We have, so everybody in Jesus has a blessing of longevity? So then what about all those faithful saints? who trust in Jesus, they're baptized believers in Christ, tell people about Jesus, they believe the truth, and they and they proclaim the truth, and their lives are exemplary, and then they get cancer and die at the age of 32. Where's their blessing of longevity? Or the, the couple who they and their children, and these are church-going people who fear the Lord, and they're traveling to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving, and they get into a terrible car accident, and they all die. Where's their blessing of longevity? 
the goodness of God, of the prosperity in every area of our life that we can possibly think of, that we'll be made glad all the days of our life. I just believe that. Yeah, that's, this is not a promise of longevity. You're making a promise for God he has not made. And worse, I mean, the worst part about all of this is that some of us age well. Some of us do not age well. Some of us at the age of 60 look like we're 40. Some of us at the age of 50 look like we're 80. This is just how the cookie crumbles, if you would, because the wages of sin is death. And we all are going to physically die. But those of us who are in Christ... We will never die. We will be with Christ forever, and we will be resurrected on the last day. And if you want to talk about the promise of longevity, you can't point to the here and the now. You must go to the clear passages that talk about the longevity we will have in the new earth after Christ has physically raised us from the grave. So what Patricia King is doing here is literally, this is described in Scripture as those who teach for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. She is twisting and manipulating God's Word to make it look like God is making a promise of longevity for all of of his believers when he has not. Uh Uh-huh. And what she is doing is, well, selling books. That's what she's up to. Wicked, wicked woman, indeed. All right, moving along, it's time for a money-grubbing televangelist update, so let's do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutsche Mark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, money, money. Nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 you round, round. You can keep round. your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phrase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go money, 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 money. That's right. That's the Monty Python money song, and that means, uh, well, we're doing a money-grubbing televangelist update. So we're heading over to uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, and by the way, he's a bishop in the Oneness Pentecostal movement, and he has not resigned his position in the Oneness Pentecostal movement as a bishop, which means that he is a purveyor and teacher and defender and proclaimer of a heresy known as modalism. We've even over the years noted that recent instances since Elephant Room 2 where T.D. Jakes has taught modalism, but that's not what's on deck today. I just point that out to remind everybody that this man is not a Christian. The God he believes in is an idol, and historically Christianity has always, and I mean this, always defended the doctrine of the Trinity against the modalists and has noted that modalists, because of their denial of who God is and in his nature and what he's revealed about himself, that they have made an idol of their own making, and they they are not considered Christian brothers and sisters. That being the case, should we be shocked that he, a heretic, is that's what he is, is going to twist the story of Ruth and turn it into something to do about 
uh, the expectancy of mothers and um, birthing things. And that includes, well, you know, men. Yeah. Here, here's T.D. Jakes. I greet you with Jesus Joy, and we are celebrating mothers this week. And it's so appropriate to share this word with you. Congratulations to all the mothers everywhere for being collaborative in the creation of human souls. God has so highly favored you that he has partnered with you in giving life to the world. I pray you are celebrated and appreciated as we celebrate you during this season. In fact, today, this message really speaks to motherhood in a powerful and prolific way. The message is called Expected Mothers. That ought to be all of you and some men, too, because. (laughs) Expectant mothers, that should be all of you, including men. Really, what biblical passage can you possibly pull out of your hat at this point that teaches that men should be expectant mothers? want to birth the promises of God. We are looking at Ruth chapter 4. Verse- we have to birth the promises of God. Okay, I'm going to back this up because I want you to hear it in context. The, the language is absurd on its face, and I'll explain why in a second. But let me back this up. You're going to hear a little bit of the same thing that he heard, he just said. But listen carefully. This message really speaks to motherhood in a powerful and prolific way. The message is called Expected Mothers. That ought to be all of you and some men too, because we want to birth the promises of God. We are looking at Ruth chapter 4. Verse- so because we want to birth the promises of God, what does that even mean? I mean, why would I need to birth a promise of God? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, if God promises something, then God is the one who is responsible for making good on his promise. For instance, let me let me give you an example. All right. Let's let's just say I decided to adopt this language with my wife. And, and I say to my wife, Honey, you know that project you've been wanting me to do? Yeah, I'm fully aware of that project that I've been wanting you to do. I've been wanting you to do it since the winter. Yeah, I know, but see, it was 30 below outside. We live in North Dakota, you know. And she goes, yeah, I, no, I didn't expect you to do it in the wintertime. But now that the weather has become nicer and it's there's no snow on the ground, you know, I'm really expecting that you're going to get around to that project that I had told you that I really needed to have done. No problemo, honey. In fact, I promise that I'm going to do it this weekend. There you go. So... So my wife sits there and goes, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm so looking forward to you keeping your promise. So the weekend comes along, right? So there's the weekend. And and so um, I find myself busy doing all kinds of things and um, never f- seem to get around to the project that I promised my wife that I would do. And so all of a sudden, I'm not making good my promise. And so my wife comes to me. It's it's getting towards the end of the weekend. You know, it's Sunday afternoon. There's only a few hours left, and it doesn't seem like enough time to finish the project that I promised that I would do. So my wife comes to me and says, you promised me that you would do that project. And I say to my wife, well, did you do all that was necessary to birth the promise that I gave you? <laughs> I assure you that if I were to say that to Mrs. Roseborough, um, <laughs> there's a good chance there may be violence. 
I, I mean, she she might she might grab oh, right under you know under your arm. Oh man, under your biceps, you know the flabby part right there. She oh man, she would probably grab that and then twist it. You know, oh man, I would oh writhing on the floor in agony, and and I would say abuse, you're abusing me, and she said fine, go ahead and call the police. Maybe they'll take me away from you, you promise breaker. You know, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> you get the idea. So you sit there going, whoa, 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 wait a second. Why would it be my responsibility to birth a promise that God has given? This doesn't make sense. And is really the book of Ruth, the the, the book of Ruth, you know, all four chapters, is that really about birthing promises? I don't think so. Through 19 and also Jeremiah 29, 11, 12. Life does not always go the way we planned it. You know that. Such was the case with Naomi. Everything was going well until the storms of life came in and made her lose hope. Yet she rose again to every mother, to every person who's ever fell into the abyss of a problem and thought it was the end of your life only to be resurrected. This word is for you. When Naomi got married, she never thought that there would be a famine. She expected happily ever after. She expected everything to fall in place. She expected white lace and promises. She expected a picket fence and a nice house and a bunch of kids running around the house. She expected to be romance. She expected to be love. Isn't it funny that expectation, which is a source of energy, can also create such frustration when expectations are not realized? Um. Okay, you just got to point this out. If you were to read the opening chapters of Ruth, where does it talk about Ruth's or Naomi's expectancy? Where does it talk about any of that? This is what they expected, and so the, so already we're off the rails. You see, the way you teach a biblical text, yeah. I know this is going to sound radical, but the way you teach a biblical text is this. You open up the Bible, and if you're the teacher, you have everybody else open up their Bibles as well, and you read out the text. Uh Uh-huh. Right. So, I mean, let's go to Ruth chapter 1. I mean, we'll kind of see if we can figure out what's going on in this passage. Ruth chapter 1, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot like that song, Elimelech, Elimelech. (laughs) Anyway, so the name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. Hmm. Ephrathah, Bethlehem in Judah. That's weird. That sounds a lot like it has something to do with Jesus' birthplace. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. It does. Okay. Because yet the, the this whole story is, if you would, a picture of redemption, the redemption of a kins, kinsman redeemer, mm-hmm. and these people are actually direct descendants of Jesus Christ. All right, so they were Ephrathites from the uh, from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. But Elimelech, 
the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left there with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Mahlon and Chilion died so that the woman uh, was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you uh, to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Now, these are the the first 12 verses of the book of Ruth. Did you note anything about um, Naomi's expectancy, you know, the... uh, the picket fence and all that other kind of stuff. It, it doesn't talk about her expectations at all. So uh, what T.D. Jakes is doing here is conning these people. Yeah, 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 yeah. When expectations are not realized and all of a sudden there is a famine and she has to flee her home. It is the things that you don't see coming that break your heart. It is the things that you didn't anticipate that begin to challenge your faith. It is the unexpected struggles that you encounter that begin to intimidate the soul. Nobody told her, after you marry this guy, you're going to have to move out of your country and out of your house and away from your kin people, that there's going to be a famine so severe that people are going to be dying all around you and you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to stay here and risk dying in the famine or go somewhere else? Nobody told her that she'd have to make hard choices or tough decisions and wonder whether she was doing the right thing or not but they watched Naomi packing up the mules and loading up the goats and getting everything ready where are you going Naomi said we're leaving out of here we don't know how long this famine is going to last where are you going we're going to Moab and we're going to load up everything come on and and, and get on get on the mule and get on the wagon we've got to go we've got to get out of here I've got something to protect and I can't let my sons die in the famine I can't let my husband die in the famine I can't let my marriage die in the famine. She said, I've got to move. Touch your neighbor and say, sometime you got to move. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, touch your neighbor and say, sometime you got to move. Okay. Um, this is not how you preach and teach a biblical text. In order to preach and teach a biblical text, you have to actually work through the text. Remember, God's word is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. God's word is. And so although these people think they're being taught Scripture, the Bible's closed. He's not actually teaching it. He's teaching them something different. 
You, 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 you can't go down with the ship. It might look good, but don't go down with the ship. Sometimes you got to load up what you got and protect your investment and head out for someplace else so that you can protect what you have. And she began to protect what she had. Tell somebody, say, protect what you got got down in Moab and got settled down in Moab and started eating real good, started drinking real good. The famine was over. But isn't it funny how the moment you get victory over one thing, here comes something else? Where are my experienced folk? Make some noise in here. But before you can shout over one victory, I survived the famine. I made it through the storm. I've been through the test. Here comes another attack on your life. And you solve this over here and here comes that over there. Oddly enough, Naomi had protected her sons and her husband and her family against the famine. And the famine didn't kill them, but they still died. They died. Yeah, apparently they weren't leaning into and activating their longevity promises. And they weren't hungry. They died and they weren't thirsty. You can solve one problem, but your problem has a twin. My, 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 I, who knew? I mean, my, I had no idea that my problems were twins. And that this is taught somewhere in the Book of Ruth, of all places, really. Survived the famine, made it out of that, celebrating the victory. We can make a life in Moab. Everything's going to be good, starting all over again. It might not be easy, but we're going to make it. And they started making it, and she lost a son. And then she lost another son. Then she lost a husband. And it was the unrealized expectations that eroded who she was. Uh-huh. The unrealized expectations, which ironically aren't even mentioned in the book of Ruth. Huh. How can you know so certainly about the unrealized expectations that aren't even discussed in the Bible, yet you, you've figured this out? I mean, clearly he, he has some kind of inside track, and the Lord is revealing all kinds of stuff that isn't even in the Bible to T.D. Jakes or something like that. Yeah unrealized expectations eroded her name, changed how she saw herself, ceased to see herself as Naomi, which means my joy. Somebody had named her Naomi when she was still a baby, fresh, new, and young. My joy, here comes my joy. Come here, my joy. Look at your joy. Come here, joy. Come here, joy. Yeah, she's coming. She's coming. But, but expectations, when they are not realized, will change your personality. She started out being called Naomi, which means my joy. But after she lost her son and lost another son and lost her husband, she said, don't call me that anymore. My name shall not be called Naomi. Don't call me my joy. There's no joy left in my life. How come you lost your joy? I lost my joy, not just because I lost my husband and I lost my two children. I lost my expectations. Right, yeah. No biblical text says this. Talk about the slow death of wrongful expectations. The slow death of wrongful expectations. It's a painful thing to give up on what you plan. 
<laughs> it's a painful thing to give up. A yeah, that was a demonic cackle. Uh. What you hope for. It's a painful thing to let go of what you anticipated. It has been said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him what you got planned. She, uh, she told them, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitterness. And she goes to a state of bitterness and the bitterness is brought about when all of a sudden you don't trust your own judgment. You don't trust your own wisdom. All of a sudden that, that, that caused bitterness. Okay. You're not, not so sure of yourself anymore. It is the slow death of your expectations. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, you need to have a funeral when your expectations die. Apparently it's terrible. It may take you half of your life to give up on what you had in mind. Did you hear what I said? It may take you half of your life to give up on what you had in mind, how you define happiness, how you define joy. Yeah, um, none of this actually has anything to do with the book of Ruth. Don't believe me, by the way? Read the book of Ruth. Finish it. You only got three and a half chapters left, and you'll find nothing in the book of Ruth talking about any of this stuff. How you define peace. It may take you most of your life. Some people never give up on trying to make things turn out the way you want them to turn out. 50 years old and still manipulating. Uh, what? 60 years old and still trying to control all the variables. Trying to force your today to be your yesterday. Um, what? What does this have to do with Ruth? <laughs> I, 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 I just want you to be what you were. To ask somebody to be what you were is to ask them to go back in a time capsule. Ooh, it got quiet, Lord. Make it, make it like it was. Anytime your faith turns backwards and starts looking in the rear view mirror, you are using it for something it was not designed to do. <laughs> okay. Um, this isn't what Ruth is talking about. And what biblical text teaches this? You are asking faith to take you backwards. No, you, apparently you can't do that. That's bad. Okay. And faith has no reverse. Now, did you hear that? That, by the way, is called gibberish. That, he would tell you, is supposedly the gift of tongues. But if he said it was the gift of tongues, he just flat out disobeyed the word of God. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26 says this, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. 
But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them be, keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, <laughs> what he just did there, strictly forbidden by God's word. Did you hear what I said to you? Faith has no reverse. It can never take you backwards. It will always take you forward. So here she is. Yeah, that's weird, because you're not taking them through the biblical text. I, backwards would probably be the wrong direction. It's like you're taking them forward straight over the cliff into the lake of fire because you're not rightly handling God's word. And she's going forward under duress. She's stepping forward under duress. I'm going, but I don't want to go. <laughs> Barely put one foot in front of another. She's going and she don't want to go. And here come this little gal running in behind her, saying, I'm going with you. She said, go on back home. Go on back home. I, don't, I ain't ready to lead nobody. I can't hardly lead myself. She said, no, 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 no. As the Lord liveth, I shall not leave thee. That God shall be my God. That people shall be my people. Where thou dwellest, I shall dwell. And where thou diest, I shall die. Orpah said, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. Ruth said, I ain't got no home to go back to. I don't have no reverse in my life. I can only go forward. Uh-huh, right, yeah. Apparently Ruth only had a forward, not a reverse. Yeah. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say forward. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching to those things which are before I press toward the mark of the pride of the high calling in Christ. I can only go forward. I can't, I can't change my yesterday. I can't fix it. I, I still don't know whether it was right or wrong. I don't know what would have happened if I'd have done this or that. But yeah, I have no idea what he's talking about. None of this has anything to do with the book of Ruth. Thing I do know, I cannot go back to where I was. I can only go... My God, who am I preaching to today? Um, a bunch of people who are deceived. Dump your foot down, because this is time for you to go forward. This is time for you to break out of your jail cell and forget those things which are behind you and step into the light of your destiny and go forward. Yeah, it's time for you to step into the light of your destiny. Yeah, It's all about me. She had... She had never been, she had never been less sure of her decisions. She's trying to go forward over failure. Forward over success is okay, but forward over failure is a tedious process because you're trying to go forward and trying not to do the same dumb thing I did before. <laughs> you, everything behind you looks murky. So, so you're, you're not even sure how to make a good decision. Because everything that you did before, when you look back at it, you wonder should you have done it and you're trying, trying to go forward. <laughs> and you got this little gal following her. And here she is going forward, and she's going forward. And all of a sudden, she begins to understand as she begins to go forward, as she begins to take her mind off of herself and begins to pour her wisdom into somebody else. 
See, see, you will never get where God wants you to be being focused on you. Right this. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, the guy, his delivery, his, his, how should we say this, oration skill. I mean, he's quite the thespian. Um, he, he is, oh, man, just literally causing these people to lick right out of his hand. But he's feeding them poison. None of this has anything at all whatsoever to do with Ruth. And never forget it. Selfish people never succeed. Well, you seem to be succeeding for the short term right now, T.D. If you forget everything else I ever taught you in all the 15 years I've been here, selfish people never succeed. Look around you. Look at the people you know. Look at how they scheme and trick and scheme. When it's all over, they never succeed. Yeah, well, you have been succeeding, T.D. Jakes, and you are a schemer indeed. Uh, so much so that you scheme Sunday after Sunday, try to figure out how to scratch these itching ears and tell these people what they want to hear rather than actually teaching the Word of God. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back we're heading down the planet shakers as we take a listen to dave mccracken uh, it's just gonna be awful stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back we don't need to rethink christianity we need to rediscover it you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Oi, Captain! We got ourselves a heretic! (laughs) And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich! (laughs) And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box? No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. (laughs) To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. All right, we're back. Hour 
number two of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to battle the McCracken again. feel like we've chased the McCracken all over the globe. But let's do this right. The Ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Planet Shakers out in Australia. Dave McCracken, the McCracken presiding. Name of the message is Authority to Bring Transformation. And this will not be any kind of exegesis at all. This will not be a sound teaching at all. The things that we will be taught will not actually be what God's Word says. And Dave McCracken is going to literally pass along a historically inaccurate understanding of the Greek word apostolos. We'll explain when we get there. But uh, without any further ado, here's the McCracken. And his message, the authority to bring transformation. Here we go. Whenever I go to prepare to preach in a church, um, I don't come with a favorite message on this subject or that subject. But I really go, actually, uh, it doesn't sound that spiritual, but I go up, walk about amongst the gum trees with the kangaroos. That's what I do. Right. So he, he gets his message from the gum trees and the kangaroos. Because to me, that's my garden. And father and me just walk around and talk around. And I'm his son. He's my father. And we hang out. And then I find myself hearing his whispers about what he wants to say. Mm. So while he's among the gum trees, he hears the whispers of the father and what the father wants him to say. So this is a message. I mean, this is what God wants preached at Planet Shakers, not something from the written Word of God. No, 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 no. This is the message that he heard the whispers of the Father while walking among the gum trees with the kangaroos. And so I start with a blank sheet of paper, and then he just tells me some stuff that he'd like me to pass on. And I wrote down three or four major points, um, which I won't share this morning because I've sent them by way of email to Pastor Russell um, uh, for him and the leadership to look at. But one of those points that God gave me was, as I got a hold of it, I realized that it not only applied to the leadership of the house, it applied to you. It it applied to every single one of you this morning. And I'm really excited about that because I believe God wants to speak into our hearts, not not our heads, but our hearts. Right, yeah. So just turn your brain off. Yeah, don't let your brain get in the way of this message that God wants to speak directly into your heart. So you just... 
turn that brain of yours off. You quiet those thoughts that might get in the way like, what does this have to do with God's word? No, no, turn your brain off. No, just, just listen with your heart. I, 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 I believe that God wants us to go out of here different in a very notable way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that that is your intention this morning. Father, that you will cause the impregnation of your word, the impregnation of the Holy Spirit. Father, the impregnation. Where'd you get that word from? I don't think that's a Bible word in reference to anything spiritual. Father, that your word will bring a transformational effect in every single life that now reaches out to receive that. Father, we alone give you the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to kick it off this morning from a scripture that we all know very well, many of us know well, Psalm 133, verse 1. Uh, Behold how pleasant, good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I always preach on unity when I get to that scripture, but the Lord quickened to me uh, the words dwell together dwell together. And I said, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And so I took a hold of the word dwell and I looked up the original Hebrew language in which it was written. And it said, it said the words to inhabit, to establish, to inhabit, to establish. And as I was reading it, I felt quickened by the Holy Spirit that you. So you looked up the Hebrew word Shavet. All right. And what did you look it up in? I mean, that's kind of what I want to know. Do you know Hebrew? Um, did you study the original languages? Um, yeah. Uh, so let's take a look at this. And it comes from the verb yeshav. And it means to sit on a seat, a stone, a teraphim, a couch, knees or throne, um, dust, ground, ashes, to sit down. It it could be a well or a pool to sit in. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, to remain, to stay, to tarry, uh, with special emphasis on uh, um, qualifying phrase and his bow abode as a firm one, and they continued three years without war. Yeah, to dwell, to have one's abode. Y- yeah, but see, the thing is, is that all. So watch how his game is played. He reads a verse, but I, you know, I'm going to focus in on this one word. And this one word, and and I've got direct revelation from the Father because the Father really wants me to key in on, on one of the possible definitions of this particular Hebrew word, which he took no time to even explain what the word was. And so, but apparently the message is in one of the possible definitions of the word itself. This fellow is playing word games. You cannot inhabit something you haven't first possessed. And so Israel as a nation was promised the, the, the promised land, but, but it wasn't theirs until they invaded it, conquered it, and established it under his kingdom rule and kingdom culture. And so only then could they inhabit it. So that scripture for you and I, the word dwell, uh, is better translated invade and establish. That's what... No, absolutely not. That is ridiculous. So notice the game that he has that he's playing. Literally, the, he is playing a game. Um, the Hebrew word yeshav does not mean to invade and establish. What he's just said is grammatically and def- definitionally 
impossible. That is not what God would have us believe at all, because that's not what the word means. And it definitely doesn't mean that in this context. Yeah, let me, let me just kind of throw it back into the verse that he made reference to ever so slightly. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers invade and establish in unity. No, it says dwell together in unity. Unbelievable. What it literally means, and I want you to have a good look at that term, invade and establish, because I believe that uh, the essence of what God is wanting me to say and impart, more than say, but impart into your spirit as planet shakers, is those words, invade and establish. Yeah, why would God have you do that? You're twisting God's word and you're playing word games. Invade and establish. I believe that it's a calling on the house. I believe it's a calling on Pastor Russell's life. I believe it's a calling on this church to invade and establish. I do not believe there'll ever be a day. Yeah, Planet Shakers is definitely invading, but they're an invasion army from the pit of hell. There'll never be a year in which there are not new territories and new horizons where God is calling this church to go forth and invade and establish the kingdom of God. I believe that. And so then that means it affects your life and mine. And I'll comment on that in a moment. The second word, together, um, I was, again, a little surprised when I looked it up in the Hebrew. And it literally means to be and do likewise. To be and do likewise. And so what's God saying here? He's saying invade and establish. And then I was thinking of the mantle and grace and calling that's on Pastor Russell's life and this church to, to go into nations, to go into cities, to invade and establish the kingdom of God. And I thought to myself, well, if that's on our leadership, then it must be on us. And when I read this word, to be and do likewise. So it's not all that happening up here, but it's you going out there to be and do likewise. And so I was thinking about that, and I just... So based upon his extensive understanding of the Hebrew language, what Psalm 133.1 says, although the English translation like the ESV says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell, when brothers dwell in unity. Um, <laughs> that what really what this say is, says and means is that, they, that it, it's good and pleasant when brothers invade and establish and do likewise. It doesn't make any sense. If God wanted to say it is pleasant when brothers invade and do likewise, he would have used a completely different set of words altogether. Um, the McCracken is, well, on the loose, and he is in the midst of literally, you know, nonsense, and he is basically destroying and spewing, spewing lies just meditating on it, and suddenly the Lord gave me this very, very clear prophetic picture. Uh, And when I see those things, they're they're very, very clear. And what I saw was Pastor Russell uh, on a stage like this, 
and there was just this sea of planet shakers out there and he came on the the stage, he came on the platform with, with this mantle. I've got something to... It's not really that, not a real mantle, but it, it'll do, okay? And, and, and it was like it was clothed on his shoulders. And as he, and as he stood up, it was his apostolic grace, it was his apostolic calling that he was carrying. And, and then he caught up and he took a hold of it and he just flung it out over. Really? Russell Evans of Planet Shakers is an apostle? What is he the apostle of? Nonsense? Over the top of, of the congregation. And as it left his hands and went out there, it suddenly became this incredible global grace that went right over the, the everybody that was a planet shaker, no matter what country, what nation, what city. It was just like this global grace. And, and the most amazing thing was that I then saw as it went out there that, that uh, people would stand up and they would just reach out to receive it, and when they did that, it became part of who they were. And so I saw other people that did not reach out. They were there, but they didn't reach out, and it didn't impact them at all. They went out the same way they came in. But but those who reached out for received an impregnation of what Pastor Russell was carrying, which changed their whole attitude when they went to work the next day. And so I would not want to be impregnated by whatever Russell Evans is carrying. Yeah, just saying, you know. Yeah, keep that to yourself. So I want to lean into that as I believe that's what God was saying to us. Do you know, in Matthew chapter 8, you have the story of the centurion coming to meet Jesus. And his servant is sick. And he says, Jesus, you don't have to go there. You just have to say a word of command. And I know my Servant will be healed. Why? Because I see that you are a man, Jesus, under great authority. And therefore you must carry authority. And he says, I am a centurion. I am under authority. Therefore I carry great authority. And Jesus marveled at it and he said, wow. I've never seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. You really know how my kingdom works. And I want to put it up on the screen for you. The centurion principle, the authority that you're under determines the authority that you carry. You got to... What? The centurion principle. Who knew? And notice he didn't actually read out the text. He made reference to it and then created a principle, the centurion principle. A hold of it, the authority you're under determines the authority you carry. To the degree that I am under the authority of the Christ, I carry the authority of the Christ. There's a lot of people out there huffing and puffing and claiming to, to do great things in Jesus' name. But I'm telling you now, in the spirit world, every demon and every angel knows one thing. In the spirit world, they know that you only carry as much authority as you are subject to authority. And the degree to which he is Lord of you. They know that in the spirit realm. Oh, wow. How, how, did you, how do you know this about what they know in the spirit realm? Did did you find a biblical text that says this? Because I don't recall any passages that say that what you just said. You, you have authority and that which he gives you. 
And so I began to lean into this and I thought, well, Father, you're trying to tell me something. And I realized as I looked back over the last 50 years of ministry that I had seen something again and again and again. And that, and that is what I saw. I saw that not only is it true of my relationship with Jesus as my king, but it is also true of those that he appoints as oversight in my life. You see, if I honor the king, I must honor those he appoints. And so there's, it's a transferal of grace and mantle. And so I would like to... So, yeah, we got to honor the ones that God's a, God appoints. You know, like the apostle Russell Evans. I say to you this morning, and I believe God really stirred me to say this. That, oh, I'm sure you, you believe that, yeah. That the apostolic grace and mantle that's on Pastor Russell's life isn't just on his life. Uh, um, Russell Evans is a false apostle. He's not an apostle. There are no living apostles today. It's actually, if I am submitted to that grace, if I'm submitted to that authority, then it must also fall on me. It must. Yeah, see, you know, if, if you submit to the authority of Russell Evans as an apostle, then that grace will fall on you. Mm-hmm. That's weird because the Bible doesn't even talk this way about the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul or the Apostle John. Why would God talk this way about the Apostle Russell Evans, who isn't even an apostle? That's full of me. And I, and I know that to be true because I've raised up a, quite a number of uh, uh, young prophets and teachers and ministries and we made a decision a little while ago, a few years ago, to, to become Planet Shakers. And we spoke of Pastor Russell and we came under his apostolic authority in our lives. And I'm telling you now, the change in our team was quite dramatic. And, and why? Because it was a grace transferal. And I, and I want you to see that if you're a planet shaker this morning, this affects you. This directly can bring transformation. To- right, because there was a grace transferal because of the apostle Russell Evans. Yeah, you know, nothing of what he is saying makes any biblical sense. To the world of which you are part, can you say amen? amen. Now, what does it mean? I mean, we know what it means for Pastor Russell. He goes into nations, goes into cities, you know, worlds opening up, Geneva, etc. I know what it means for Pastor Russell, but what does it mean for you? What did it mean for you Tuesday morning, Thursday night, Saturday lunch? What does it mean for you? Let me tell you what it means. Because when Paul, Jesus, and all the others used that term, apostle, when, he, when Paul went into a town like in Romans 11, he went and he says, I am an apostle to you Gentiles. Now, when he used that term, instantly everybody that was there knew exactly what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Now, what's going to come next is something that is historically and, well, let's just say lexic, lexicography, lexicographically, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, is absolutely false. It's not even remotely true. And I've heard this, uh, I've heard it from McCracken, we'll hear it in a second. I've heard Bill Johnson say this, and it's not true. Listen to what he says that apparently the ancient world understood regarding the word apostle. They knew the common 
usage of that term in everyday language. And friends, it was not a religious term. It had nothing to do with religion. It was now that's technically true. I mean the uh, the word apostolos and its verb apostello they predate Christianity by a good five six centuries. It was never spoken in the synagogue. It was a political military term. It was only ever used in a political military sense and, the, and is largely attached to the Romans. And so when Paul would go in and say, I have come as an apostle, instantly they knew what he was saying because they knew what an apostolus was. And here's how it operate. Caesar would decide that he wanted another city or another nation and he would then take a, the, a general... And he was giving him the commission, I want you to invade by way of military conquest and conquer that nation. But then he would take another person, and sometimes, often, in fact, they were the same person but two different commissions. Yeah, could you cite your source for this? Because I think you just ripped this off of Bill Johnson. He would say this, it's not enough to invade. I, I want you to go there, and once you have invaded and conquered, I want you to establish. I want you to change things. I want you to replace the culture that exists there with the culture of Rome. And so when Paul comes in and he says, I have come as an apostle, everybody knew exactly what he meant. I have come to invade. R really? So Paul says he's an apostle. That means everybody understood he's an invader. No. I've come to invade. I represent another kingdom. I am here to conquer the spiritual forces and wickedness in this place. And I am going to replace this spiritual culture with the culture of heaven. Uh -huh. So apparently that's what apostle means. Now, by the way, that's not what it means at all. Apostolos, by the way, classical usage. Uh, the Attic Greek word, which was used extensively in Athens in the 5th century BC, literally means one who is sent. By the way, I'm using several different sources for this, including Leonida, also, uh, you know, uh, BDAG, and uh, a, a Liddell and Scott, so that you understand where, where I'm getting this information from. It was used for admiral or general officer chosen by the council to command a fleet or to command an army in a military expedition, generally against Sparta in the Peloponnesian War. It, yeah, and so notice here, Greek word used for the general in, to invade Sparta. Greek culture was already established there. It was also used for very a very usual person who was chosen to command a band of Greek colonists in order to establish a settlement in some other part of the world, maybe Corsica or Italy. Okay, so the idea then was set, you know to create a Greek settlement. They were colonists. The head the head honcho would be called the apostolos. Uh, it could also mean to be an apostolos was the greatest responsibility given to an Athenian within Athens. Apostolos is derived from the uh, Greek verb apostello, first as a verb, a, a verbal adjective, and then as a noun. The verb apostello 
Uh, Sophocles onward is a compound word composed of the verb stello, to put up or to make ready, the preposition apa, uh, from or away from. It means to send both persons and or things, to send away, to chase away, or to send off. The noun apostolos is first found in maritime language since the Greeks were a seafaring people and it was also used of military expeditions. It would be used by the Greeks to designate a cargo ship, a freighter, transport ship, or the fleet sent out. Uh, Demosthenes used it in this way. Later, it denoted a commander of a naval expedition or a band of colonists sent overseas. In the papyri, it can mean an invoice or even a passport. Only in two passages in Herodotus does apostolos mean envoy or emissary as a single person. Josephus uses the word for a group sent on a mission. The Jews sent to Rome, um, you know, uh, sent to Rome, and that's from Antiquities uh, 1711-1. And all its usages have two ideas in common. One, an expression or commission. Two, being sent overseas. Thus, the root meaning in the case of the noun is narrowed down. It was probably only later in the Gnostic circles that apostolos came to convey the oriental concept of emissaries as mediators of divine revelation. There are, according to the system in question, it could be used in the singular for a heavenly savior, or in the plural, for a number of saving persons or spiritual men. The word usually denotes an authorized messenger. Liddell and Scott list the following classical meanings for the word. And you can find this on page 220 of Liddell and Scott's Greek lexicon, in this classical Greek. Messenger, ambassador, envoy, commander of a naval force, naval squadron or expedition, a colony, a packet, order for dispatch, export or license, cargo dispatched by order. Yep, that's right. The And by the way, the Greek word apostolos also occurs in the Septuagint, but I won't go into that. In the intertestamental period, it's also used. Um, we do not find the word, though, employed by Philo. Uh, it occurs only twice in Josephus, where he used uh, the word in connection with the delegation of Jewish messengers sent to Rome. That being the case, I hardly believe that Rome would have received them if apostolos means we're here to invade. <laughs> New Testament word usage. The, the noun apostolos appears 81 times in the New Testament. Um, in striking contrast with the classical Greek, apostolos is used in the New Testament only in the general sense of a messenger and particularly as the fixed de- designation of a definite office, the office of apostle. As noted uh, in the classical as well as the Septuagint use, uh, in its use in Judaism, apostolos designates an authorized messenger or one who is commissioned by legitimate authority. It is significant that with a few with few exceptions, the word in the New Testament designates one who has received a commission from the Lord Jesus Christ and has been authorized to represent him before the churches throughout the Roman Empire as his messenger. It is critical to understand that the apostolos never receives his authority from men, but from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Yeah, so um, what... Uh, what he just, the McCracken just spewed, it is factually, historically, and dictionarily, I will use that word, you know, it is absolutely false. It is not true. 
what he is just what he's just said is absolutely not true that if somebody shows up in the in the greek world and you know the time of the first century the time of the apostles and says i'm an apostle oh you're here to invade wrong absolutely false and uh, i've checked literally all of my lexicons and greek grammars and anything that has to do that will it will help me understand the root of the word and how it was used in the ancient world and not one of them said what he just said. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? It, it was not. It was not some. Uh, I'm going to start a meeting, and I hope people will come. Uh, it, it never entered his head. Never entered his head. He wasn't there to start a meeting. He was there to possess a city. He was there to possess a nation. He was there. To- really, the apostle Paul was there to possess a nation. I don't think so. To possess a problem. He ended up losing his head. Because he knew that what he carried on his life was to go in there, invade, and conquer those spiritual forces of wickedness and establish the kingdom of God and the culture of heaven. He was not, if he was no sort of sense of what do I do now? He was so focused. He knew exactly what his commission was. And I guess what I'm saying here this morning is you carry that commission. You are not called as an apostle, but you are called to be apostolic. You are so called to be apostolic. Why? The church is apostolic in the sense that the church preaches and teaches the apostolic message, which was commissioned by Christ for them to bring. And the apostolic message and doctrine focuses in on Christ and him crucified for our sins and calling people to repent and to be forgiven by Christ for their sins because he has bled and died for them on the cross and risen bodily from the grave on the third day. Because every single person here is called to invade and establish. You are called to make a difference. No, we're not. We're called to make disciples, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded. That requires us to focus in on preaching and teaching the Old Testament prophets and the apostles and their message. You are called as an agent of transformation and change. It's the reason why you are in that family. It's the reason why you're in that office. It's the reason why you're in that boardroom. It's the reason why you're on that building site. You are there as an agent of transformation. You are there commissioned by... There is no biblical text that says that we are agents of transformation. This is a demonic distraction. God to make things change. I understand where my heart is here. Is invade and establish. We talk about doing the will of God. Extending the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. But friends, what is that? The will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven is simply an invasion. It is an invasion of a city or a nation or a home or a family or an office with, 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 the, with the kingdom of God and the culture of heaven. I have no idea where I am. But I tell you what, friends, I am alive on the inside. I know that my life can change the environment. And there are too many fatalistic Christians on the planet. My life, my life, me, 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 mine, 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 uh-huh. We're called to make disciples, baptize, teach, all the Christ has commanded. Mm-hmm, yeah, it's not about you. 
who seem to go through life, well, you don't know my circumstances. And I, you know, I just got to, I guess I got to accept things. You don't have to accept things. If you are under authority, you carry authority. You can change your environment. When you carry the culture. I can change my environment. Yeah, I mean, serious. This is ridiculous. For heaven into that environment. You're called to invite. You're called to invite darkness with light. Rejection with acceptance. Sorrow with hope. Greed with generosity. Lust with purity. Anger with reconciliation. Friends, you have been placed by God to replace the culture with the culture of heaven. And it's your commission. No, you haven't. The great commission is to go and make disciples. Baptizing, teaching. All that Christ has commanded. It's your commission. You know, in Matthew 6, we have the well-known Lord's Prayer, which is really ours. He was telling us to pray. Do you know that when Jesus said, I want you to pray like this, he wasn't actually giving us a formula of prayer. He was actually, you see, your prayer life reflects your priorities. You pray most about what you care about most. So when Jesus was saying, this is the way I want you to pray, pray, he was actually saying to you, this ought to be the priority. This should be your consuming focus. This should be what... This also is false. Luke 11, Luke 11, verse 1. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And here's what he said. He said to them, when you pray, say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, lead us not into temptation. See, Jesus actually gave us words to pray. When you pray, say. Mm -hmm. What the McCracken just said here is not true. Drives you when you get up in the morning. He says, this is where it's really at. And where was it? In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven. Isn't it amazing that he always starts off... Not with God Almighty, but with Father. The most life-transforming thing in my life in these last 50 years is the day that I realized that he wasn't just God Almighty, although he really is, but he was my Father. That I was his son. Oh, I wasn't like a son. I was his son. The Bible says you are begotten of his incorruptible seed. And that makes him actually... Yeah, see, you don't act like one of his sons, though. Because you corrupt his word and you teach false things. Your father. I think some of you need to get that way down on the inside. So let me read it to you now. Let me read this statement that Jesus made, pulling out the amplification of it. Here we go. Father, let your name be revered. Let it be held in awe. Let it be considered holy. Let it be greatly honored, Father, here on the earth. And let who you really are be seen by mortal men. As your authority to rule over is demonstrated through me. And your will is being done on... Where are you getting these words? 
These aren't the words that Jesus said to pray. On the earth through me in just the way it's done in heaven. And friends, let the world see you for who you really, really are. Do you know that Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. He, he came to represent the Father to us so that we can literally see what Father looked like. I can't find, uh, you know, Got to be careful with this, but there is no greater compliment paid to me in 50 years of ministry. It's all by his grace, all by his grace. But I'm telling you now, when someone walked up to me as I did a few days ago and they said something, you know, of all the preaching and all the rest of it, but, but I, I hang around you a little while and I feel loved like a father would really love me. And I went away and said, that's the biggest compliment of the entire year. If I, if I can have somebody feel that they're loved by my father because of what they see in me, there is no greater compliment than that. And I want to say, Jesus just came to represent the father. He came to represent the culture of heaven. You see, the culture of heaven, people, is the Father. It's simply the extension of his person. My Father fills all of heaven, and who he is just radiates out. The tragedy is that that can all be so, and individuals can just miss it. You know, the, the, the demons of hell were created by God, beautiful, and they were angels, and they were magnificent, and they were powerful, and they were incredible. And today they're ugly and evil and dark and horrible. Why? Be and sneaky and squid-like. Because they chose not to do his will. You see, you cannot embrace Father without doing his will. You can't embrace his will without embracing his person. If you have, if you can't embrace obedience without embracing culture. You see, the reflection of my obedience to him and my intimacy with him is that you will see something of him in me. I bring the culture of heaven representing my father. I trust that you're enjoying the message, but more than enjoying it, I trust you are being impregnated with that sense of hope and faith and courage to go out into your world and make a difference. You are an agent of change. Now, you'll note that uh, Planet Shakers does this obnoxious thing that partway through the message, they have like a little inter intermission. And so are you being impregnated to go out and be an agent for change? I'm not. <laughs> oh, man. In fact, if anything, this is motivating me to continue to battle these people because God wills for them to be silenced. This is nonsense. This is not any message or doctrine that Christ is authorized to be taught in his church. And what this fellow is doing is literally blaspheming. Oh, friends, you want the will of, if you want the miraculous of God, I mean, heaven's full of the miraculous. It is miraculous. It just permeates every part of heaven. So if you want it and you want the culture of heaven, let me tell you this, there's only one way the will of God is done in heaven. Absolutely. There's no debate in heaven. There's no question and answer time in heaven. There's no forum of opinions. There's no reluctance. There's no discussions. There's no hesitation. There's no applied logic. 
<laughs> there's no sitting down. Let's let this one out. So apparently there's no applied logic in heaven. So just turn your brain off and stop being logical. Uh-huh. And you you said that God told you this? Out. No, it's just, Father, what do you say? Oh, what, what, you know, let's look and see how other people have done it. No, no, no. Uh, let's see what the latest book on philosophy tells us to do. No, no, no. Well, you see, the reason why the church out there, I'm talking globally, has lost something of the power of the book of Acts is they have lost the simplicity of the book of Acts. In the, uh, the Bible... The Bible wasn't a source of good thinking. It was the absolute. It was, it was. Yeah, it was, past tense. Why aren't you preaching it then? Why did you twist it? Why did you add to it? Why did you change it? It was the end of the conversation. If it was in here, it didn't need to be discussed. It needed to be obeyed. And we have the miraculous in the book of Acts because we have people that are not messing around with the culture of heaven. Right, yeah, see, the miraculous happened because they didn't mess around with the culture of heaven, right? Yeah, no biblical text says this. And they're not getting politically correct. They're not trying to make it different or more acceptable and won't upset people. Listen! It's filled with the miraculous power of God. All we have to do is accept it in the simplicity that he wrote it. We need to enact it, not discuss it. So stop discussing God's word and just enact it. That would assume that all of God's word is law. Just something that has to be obeyed and done. Rather than also revelation of the gospel, the good news that needs to be proclaimed. Friends, when it all boils down to it, it's not how noble it is. It's not how spectacular it is. It's not how many of the, my peers might applaud it or cheer. But really, it's a matter of how clearly I've heard my father's voice and how boldly I have obeyed what he said. I'm pretty sure you haven't heard God the Father's voice there among the gum trees and the kangaroos. Because you've mangled God's written word terribly and you're filling these people's heads with utter nonsense. Every time we've, we've literally reviewed a message of yours, it's been the same. A complete and catastrophic theological train wreck and a mangling of God's word. It's a degree to which who we are in that given moment has actually represented who he is. Because I've come to the conclusion the rest of it, no matter how dramatically celebrated on the earth, is wood, hay, and stubble in my Father's eyes. And the Holy Spirit will never empower anything I say, or I do, or I think, or I initiate, unless it truly reflects my Father. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal the Father. And, and if I want the authority and the dominion of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal the Father. Jesus says that when he sends the Holy Spirit, he would convict the world of sin and unbelief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In my life, then I had better settle the fact that unless I live 
without the culture of heaven, I will never have the power of heaven. Right. So if you have, if you don't live out the culture, you'll never have the power. Uh huh. That's weird. No biblical text says that. And friends, we're going to settle this issue because right now you're you are held responsible. I am held responsible for the environment in which God places us. I am responsible to invade. So you're responsible for the environment. Okay, you got to invade. Invade that environment with a culture of heaven. And when that culture, you see, Jesus was the total embodiment of the culture of heaven. Everything about the Father, the wonder, the order, incredible goodness, everything was wrapped up in Jesus. That's why he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But friends, listen to me. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the embodiment of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the embodiment of the culture of heaven. It's all contained in the person of the Holy Spirit now. Jesus said that. And he resides in you. Friends, we complicate it. But let me tell you something. It's not a matter of you trying. It's not a matter of you trying to be different. It's not a matter of you trying to change things. It's a matter of you surrendering. It's a matter of your will being submitted to his will so that when you go into that environment, it's not your agenda, it's not your image, it's not your program. Yeah, again, um, do you have biblical texts that say this? Because you're spewing your opinions and you claim that this is the message that the Father laid on your heart while you were out there amongst the kangaroos. Um, but n- there's no biblical text that says any of this stuff. He's not proving you were right or someone else was wrong. You don't care about any of that stuff. You're in there to represent your father. You're in there to hear the whispers of heaven. You're in there to... Yeah, where does it say I'm supposed to hear the whispers of heaven? I don't know where that text is. Can you show it to us? ...to bring his agenda. When you reflect the culture of heaven when you represent my father the holy ghost is obligated to empower you because he empowers anyone so the holy ghost is obligated to empower me wow i had no idea that i could put the holy ghost under my obligation one that carries the culture of heaven oh have you any idea what it could do to your personal world Just imagine your home. Just imagine your office. Just imagine your sports club or whatever it is, your world. Can you just imagine what it would look like if you woke up every morning of your life knowing that you had an apostolic call? I didn't say you were an apostle. I said an apostolic function in the fact that you too are called to invade and establish And you didn't get up in the morning feeling like a victim. You didn't get up in the morning feeling fatalistic. You didn't get up in the morning saying, Oh, God, I've got to go to that place again today. (laughs) No, you get up in the morning and say, Father, 
I am not an accident going somewhere to happen. I am a man or a woman under divine command. That means I am in that office by divine command. I am in that sports club by divine command. And I know that I am empowered by the Holy Ghost to subdue the spiritual forces and the spiritual wickedness. I am empowered by the Holy Ghost to bring about change. Instead of responding to life, yeah, aren't you powerful? Yeah, it's I am empowered to have power. Yeah, yeah. This is not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all the Christ is commanded. It's pretty straightforward, you know. And what this fellow is saying, yeah, it's uh, not found in Scripture. This is weird. You become proactive. You begin to determine your environment. You determine the culture. Right. Are you determining your environment? Yeah. Well, you, you got to do that. Apparently, God wants you to be doing that, you know. Oh, how incredible that would be. I'm not putting pie in the sky with your die stuff. I'm saying what's real. No, you're not. And if you don't believe it, you'll never see it. It starts with believing it. And it will always be tested. Yesterday I got tested on it. And someone really pressed my button. I mean, you know, really pressed it. And I could feel every sense of my Irish heritage coming to the fore. God, I'm not allowed to kill no more. But how close to it can I get? And 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 I, I and then suddenly the you know and things started to change in the room and the atmosphere fell like a like a lead balloon. Everybody in the, they didn't know what I was thinking, but they could feel the weight of it. Why? Because your spirit's far greater than your body. You radiate, you emanate who you are. And suddenly the Holy Spirit, and, and things were just going down the gurgler, and, and suddenly the Holy Spirit reminded me what I had to get up here today and preach. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I didn't wait for my feelings to change. I made a decision. My God, I am not going to submit to this. Greater is he that's within me than that's sitting in this room. And I'm going to change the culture. And I began to think differently, speak differently. And I began to put a smile on my face and laughter in my spirit. And I'll tell you what, within 10 minutes, the whole place had changed. You are called, but you're also empowered. Oh, friends, there'd be no depression. There'd be no poverty. There'd be no hatred. There'd be no anger. There'd be no contention. There'd be no pornography. There'd be no despair. There'd be no rejection. There'd be no insecurity. There'd be no pride. There'd be no selfishness. Why? Because they don't exist in heaven. They're not, they don't exist in the Holy Ghost. Let me say this to you. When the world sees the culture of heaven, it's indescribably attractive. 
evangelism, evangelism would be effortless. It would be like this great redemptive tsunami that was just a a predictable response to men and women seeing ordinary mortal human beings walk around on the planet radiating something that could not be broken or put down, radiating something that was so beautiful, so irresistible that they they, they cannot stand back. Friends, I'm telling you now, the culture of heaven changes wherever it is taken. Yeah, you can tell them that all you want, but it won't make what you're saying true because none of what you're saying is actually found in Scripture. And I have no idea where I am. But I do know this. Monday morning, tomorrow morning, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you do have a choice. And you can go out with a victim mentality, you can go out with a ho-hum mentality, you can go out to re-embrace the status quo, or you can go out as a commissioned warrior of Christ who knows who they really are as a son, as a daughter, and the commission they carry, and you can bring transformation. Now, I know that some of you may have had a very abusive culture and you're wounded. I feel for you. But I want to assure you of something. Greater is he that's within you. And, and, and the culture of heaven is greater than any culture you take it into. You see... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience to um, help people make decisions. Um, apparently, the decision on the table is, are you going to invade? Are you going to change the world and bring the culture of heaven and have the power by submitting to the authority of the one who has the apostolic mantle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what this message was about. It's a spirit-empowered culture. It's not replacing one human culture with another human culture because that just brings about nothing but contention and fighting. But I'll tell you what now, when you bring a Holy Spirit supernatural culture, it, it, it's got to change everything it touches. And my challenge to you is to take it. You see, it rests, it rests, it rests on Pastor Russell and Pastor Sam and the leadership of this house. They've got an apostolic grace. I speak with a lot of major leaders worldwide. I speak at pastors' conferences, stuff like that. And we talk afterwards and we talk about various ministries globally. And I'll tell you what, the whole world is recognizing the fact that Pastor Russell has a global apostolic mantle on his life. No, he doesn't. He's a false apostle and he has nothing of the sort. And if that's true, then the authority you submit to determines the authority you carry. The grace you submit to determines the grace you carry. There's not one single person in this building that cannot know the empowerment and the anointing and the grace of being a world changer and a transformation, a transformer of the culture that you find yourself in. 
It's not only for every Christian, it's for you. And I want to do something now. I, Pastor Russell is not here. He's bringing transformation in Houston. But did Rudy dematerialize? Does he ah, come now? I, I want, I want, because I want to remind you. I want to remind you of the the vision that kicked all this off this morning. When my father spoke to me, clear as a word that that the, what would what would be the hallmark of Planet Shakers moving forward would be invade and establish, invade and establish, invade and establish. A certain city will come up and Pastor Russell will say, well, let's invade and establish. A, 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 a nation will come up. We're going to invade and establish. We're going to replace it with a kingdom of God. And when I was looking at that, and I saw that vision of him standing and, and, and he had this mantle on him representing the apostolic grace and it was over his shoulders. And then he threw it. Ah, oh, this is just a towel, but imagine. I mean, he's not Pastor Russell either, but imagine. He's reasonably good looking. He's all right. So, 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 we'll, we'll, there we go. Now, you carry that apostolic grace and mantle that's on Pastor Russell. Come. And I, now, I'm not doing theatrical tricks. I'm not doing theatrical tricks. But sometimes a physical thing speaks of something powerful in the spirit. And I know that my father spoke to me before I came here and said, those who will reach out in from their spirit to receive an apostolic grace of empowerment to change their world and their environment, to invade and establish, invade and establish. If they will reach out for it with a passionate heart, the Holy Ghost will begin to burn inside of them with a new authority and a new commission. So I don't know about you, but if there's anybody here... Do you want a new authority and a new commission? you got to submit to the apostolic mantle of... Mm-hmm. Yeah. That wants that, that I'm going to get Rudy to take Pastor Russell's mantle, and I'm going to get him to throw it, because what I saw in that vision was as, it, as a mantle went out from his hands... There was this incredible impregnation of that grace upon people's lives. So if you want that... Yeah, do you want an impregnation of grace? Do you, you know, catch the mantle when he throws it, you know? And you're determined to walk out and be different and embrace the life God has given you. Then I want you to stand up and reach out as Pastor Rudy right now throws it. Okay, receive, receive. Receive. Receive it in the spirit. You are not yeah, this is so cult-like, it's not even funny. You're not a victim. You're an agent of transformation. Done. Complete deceptive 
demonic train wreck. Wow. No words. I mean, that is, that's about as evil as it gets. And that was wicked. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ's vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>